Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Jeff Spooner, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Warner Brothers Studio Tour, the making of Harry Potter. We discuss the tour's phenomenal success, and yep, you guessed it, the motivation for launching with pre-booking only. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I, I, I'm excited to talk about you. We've got lots to get through today. But as ever, I start with my icebreaker questions. Okay. So first one for you. Are you a believer in having a very regimented morning routine? Are you one of these people that's, are you a 4am start kind of guy? I, I can't I can't think why anyone would want to start at 4am. Uh, I can't think of anything worse than that. I, 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 I am fairly regimented because um, I have uh, I have children and I think that sort of, you know, that necessitates that in order to actually get them out at out to out the house at a certain time which I've done a lot more of during you know lockdowns and my wife just broken her foot unfortunately so I'm having to do a lot of that uh, and appreciating all that she does normally and I think routine is good but you know you read in in these things and they say tell us about your daily routine and they're like oh like I wake up at 2 a.m and I go for a swim and you think you're absolutely no you don't you're crazy why would you do that (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally with you on that I just don't get it and I think it's part of that that really horrible hustle culture that we are that we have at the moment where you know every waking minute you should be pushing yourself and pushing yourself and actually you should be getting up earlier for your for your morning routine as well no it's not for me we've got dogs so again I have a very regimented thing, set thing. routine but yeah. it definitely doesn't start at four o'clock in the morning Kids are just more expensive versions of dogs, really, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, probably less messy as well. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right, next one. Um, if you could bring back any fashion trend from your youth, what would it be? Well, I, I, I'm sort of like a child of the 80s, so uh, I certainly wouldn't recommend bringing anything back there. The stuff that my mum used to make us wear, I just think is, uh, you know, it, it's sort of harrowing images in my head when I see it. So, um, yeah, I think my wife would disagree with you, but I, 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 I just, I try to sort of block the 80s out of my memory, really. <laughs> See, I'm a big, I'm a big nostalgia person, and the '80s is is, is my era as well. That's where I grew up, and so I have a real fondness for it. Not so much the fashion. It wasn't cool, was it? Not well. No, it wasn't. So it's not one where you look back on and go, "I look damn good." <laughs> Actually, I don't think this. <laughs> I look at what my, I look I look at what my ten-year-old wears, and I think, "Look what I had to wear when I was ten. Oh my god. <laughs> So can you tell me your unpopular opinion, something that you believe to be true, but almost nobody else agrees with you on? Probably a bit controversial for the company that I work in, but my, my preference really is I think that uh, film trailers are too long. Oh. I, th- I think less is more, less is more. There's a point where you're telling a bit too much of the story and I think, you know, you, you, I want to be surprised when I go to the cinema and I love going to the cinema. So um, that would be my probably quite unpopular opinion. No, I kind of, I'm with you on that. I love a trailer. So I get really excited at the cinema when the trailers come on because I, I think this mm. this is a great build-up. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes you think, have I just watched all of the best bits from that film? Probably. It's tricky. 
Well, let's see what our listeners think, whether that's controversial or not. <laughs> I'm sure they'll let me know. Um, thank you for answering those silly questions. Uh-huh. I, I want to start with your background because you've got a really impressive career in the kind of travel and, and, and leisure industry. You've worked at Warwick Castle, yep. Le Galen Windsor, London Eye. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how, you know, was, was it always a sector that you were really passionate about and wanted to work in? Um, no, not really. I, I think, I, you know, I, like I, if I look at my kids today and, you know, my daughter's headmaster, she's only 10, asked if I would do like a careers talk for a school. I thought, gosh, isn't that fantastic? No one ever used to tell you these things. And you do your certificate of achievement and things like that at uh, school. And they, you know, they, you do your test and they say you'd be a, you'd have some completely random job that you never even thought you'd be interested in. And so I, I don't think I had a, a massive career plan when I was a child, but, you know, once I sort of went into university and things like that, I, I was really interested in animals. And so um, I thought I would end up, you know, working with that really, because I have a zoology degree. And wow. um, so I'm a bit like Newt Scamander uh, from the Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> <laughs> In that, in that sort of sense, I was before my time. And um, so I was working in a zoo uh, uh, at Chessington, actually, in their zoo team there. And I used to do that sort of uh, during holidays and um, while I was doing my, my, my degree. And I thought, you know, I, and I tell you what, working in a zoo is such fun. It's, it is really, really great fun. Oh, I and uh, I love that so much. And randomly one year, I ended up, rather than being in the zoo, um, ended up going to work in guest services uh, at the park, which is, you know, in a theme park, guest services can be, you know, quite, quite, quite a fun place to work as well for lots of different reasons. <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, then I worked in admissions with the admissions team as well, just sort of the year that I was uh, graduating. And that was 2000. And um, Two Swords, who I in Chessington at the time, had just opened um, the London Eye. And, um, you know, I think probably looking at all the parks and then looking at it's it's essentially a ferris wheel what can go wrong and then they then we sort of opened the london eye and found out what could go wrong <laughs> and, um, and so then there was a lot of emphasis on okay we've got to get this back quickly because so many people want to come and, and experience it so i ended up um, joining them as the sort of front of house uh, visitor service manager with the team there putting together a team they didn't have a visitor service team at the time randomly just let anyone go behind the information desk wow. and give out give out any old random <laughs> sort of uh, information which sounds absolutely crazy now but that, that's kind of the way the way it was so I had lots of fun uh, with that working there for five years and um, then I moved to manage admissions and you know that was a massively massive I mean it still is a massively popular attraction but um, you know sort of having 12,000 pre-booked visitors and 12,000 people on the day coming to the attraction is, you know, if you've been, I'm sure probably everyone who's listening has been to London Eye, you know, that is a tiny little footprint of an attraction. But, you know, when you, when we were sort of duty director or duty manager and you're walking around that attraction, you're easily doing sort of, you know, 7,000, you know, like 7,000 meters or 7K on your, your Fitbit or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, it, that was really good fun. Um, and then not a lot was happening really into towards and I thought I'd really enjoyed the, the London Eye. Um, and then I was sort of looking about what else should I do? Maybe I should go and work in a different industry and maybe look at ticketing, lots of different things. And uh, an opportunity came to go and join National Express, 
which is a very different industry to visitor attractions. Travel is, is you know, is, is, has m- many more uh, challenges, mainly because lots of people arrive at you very angry uh, for, <laughs> because no thought of anything that you've done particularly because their their plane's been seven hours late or something like that, and then they're amazed that at you know two in the morning you haven't got a, a coach that's going to you know wherever it is they live. So um, that was a really different experience and. Um, you know, managed their sort of work with their teams there, worked at all of their airport sites and, um, you know, very, very busy and uh, a really, really demanding kind of job. And sort of, I think the thing you find there is that when you work at an airport, there's nothing worse than going to an airport every day and not going on holiday. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that <laughs> must be really so destroying. So, um, so I did that for about five years and then I, I was really missing visitor attractions, though, and I wanted to get back into that. And an opportunity came up at... Uh, Legoland and I, I was uh, joined there as uh, operations director and uh, had lots of fun working there. Lego is a great brand, Legoland's a great brand and uh, it's a really fun attraction and during my time we were really lucky we put in um, things like the, the Star Wars mini land that they had, um, you know we were sort of fine-tuning the Atlantis submarine ride and the, the, the sort of sea life that went with that and then we opened sort of uh, everyone thought we were absolutely mad because we decided to open an open air outdoor uh, water park in Jipo Valley and uh, we just ended up opening it on the summer and there was the biggest heat wave ever so from April until, oh. until about September it was about you know, it was that one of those ones where it's like 80 degrees every day and we looked like complete geniuses after that. <laughs> perfectly timed but, yeah that was good but sort of halfway through that um, unexpectedly really the the role at Warwick came up to be GM for that and it's just such a fantastic attraction it's so beautiful and uh, an, an incredible place to work. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give that a go. And, um, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, allowed to go and do that. And um, so we moved up to Warwick, where we still live. And, um, you know, had a lot of fun there, putting in lots of different uh, accommodation offerings and things like that. And literally sort of uh, very happy doing all of that. But uh, got a call asking if I'd be interested about coming over to, to Warner Brothers. And it's probably the only other attraction that I would have considered doing. And, um, yeah, so then I uh, came over to, to work with, uh, you know, a really amazing team here and a really special, uh, equally special kind of brand with, with Harry Potter and the filmmaking and everything that goes along with that. I mean, it is, isn't it? It is a hugely iconic brand and that must have been, it must have been a really tough decision because Warwick Castle, like you say, it is, it is again, iconic and absolutely incredibly beautiful. All of the attraction places that you've worked at actually have a really huge draw for people for very, yeah. very different reasons. Yeah. So uh, with Harry Potter, the making of, of the Harry Potter tour, have you been there from the start? So were you there when, when it first opened? No, so um, I joined in 2016 and uh, the tour opened in um, 2012. And, you know, if you walk around our building, there's lots of pictures of the opening and, you know, uh, William and Kate attending and, and Joe and all of that and there's a lot of our team actually here today who you know were here in 2012 for the opening or were here while we were building it and uh, some a couple of our duty managers were in the films so um, you know it's um, it, 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 there's that huge kind of love for it really and one of the things I suppose that really appealed to me and and sort of convinced me to come over and and, and, and drive an hour and a half to work every day um, <laughs> yes. is that um, you know Warner Brothers just have a, a a really amazing approach to 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 the way that they they work they have this incredible 
I, I suppose, expectation of quality. And, and they want everything to be put, done to a very, very, very high standard. And also to, to invest to deliver that as well. So it's not sort of a, uh, you know, unattainable. They very much very consider what they want to do. What is the experience we're trying to do, deliver? What is the service that what's going to be like? And I suppose um, the opportunity to come and work in that environment, knowing also that we were going to be building, if I, if I came along, that, that I'd be working on an expansion that was, you know, massive, which is the one that we've just opened in 2019. Um, so there was a lot to be doing, lots to going on. Another expansion that we'd be opening in 2017 in the meantime, a really, you know, amazing brand. And, you know, it's sort of a bit irresistible, I suppose, is probably the best way to, to you, you know, you wouldn't really get that opportunity. And I think people couldn't quite understand it in 2016. I couldn't understand why would you go there? It's sort of open now. It's kind of a bit done. Harry Potter's a bit done. You know, what, what's happening? But, you know, I did know that, Obviously, the Fantastic Beasts films were in development, so that was going to you know, bring the kind of whole Harry and the Wizarding world back to the sort of, uh, you know, people's uh, front of mind. And also, um, you know, we had the Cursed Child play opening and all those things kind of happened at the same time. So the brand was very, very resurgent and, and um, you know, people still really, really wanted to do it. And I also, from my point of view, part of the challenge is, in some respects, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it, it, if you go to attraction and you go there to make it much better, you know, that's, 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 that's can be very sort of um, exciting and gives you lots of opportunity to try. Um, if you're going to an attraction that's got, you know, 25,000 five-star TripAdvisor reviews and has a five-star trip about, you, you know, you can, you can mess that up, I suppose. So the challenge for me, I, I think, is, was to, to come in and really maintain that but knowing that we were going to have to get bigger, knowing that we were going to have to grow our numbers, knowing that we probably have to grow our price and do all of those things and make that all sort of successful and be profitable at the same time. So um, it was a very, you know, unique challenge to, to find yourself, you know, presented with as an opportunity. But it was it was a really I'm really pleased that I did it because it's been absolutely huge funds <laughs> for since 2016. It's kind of flown by, really. Yeah, I, and, and an opportunity that you just couldn't have missed out on at no, all. It was interesting what you said there about um, an attraction that has such a highly rated, is so highly rated by people because a, a couple of stats here. I think I read that since it opened to the public in 2012, it's welcomed up to 6,000 visitors a, a day during peak times. And TripAdvisor report that it's been the highest rated attraction worldwide every year since the tour opened so you really I mean it's really peak isn't it to maintain yeah. that is something else yeah. but to build on it is a whole other a whole other story yeah and we when we you know even when we opened we weren't open at sort of the levels that we were at in 2013 or 2014 so we, we ramped up to about 5,000 when I joined in 2016 our our top day was 6,000 and we sort of uh you looked at the operation and tweaked that to six and a half quite quickly before we had the um, the expansion. And with the expansion now, we're, we're up to seven and a half thousand people a day. And, you know, like you say, it's uh, we've got sort of 40,000 odd uh, TripAdvisor reviews now. And uh, our average there is 96 percent, which is, you know, it's amazing to, to do that because I think, you know, people come based, I think, on, on word of mouth, based on that sort of reputation. But, you know, their expectation because of that is set really, really high. 
and our team have this you know mission to exceed that expectation but they that you know all credit to them they, they managed to do that you know really consistently yeah. and the experience is really consistent and you know we see that not just on TripAdvisor we see it on you know Google reviews we see it on you know Facebook so it's it's lovely to be in the role that I'm in because people say oh I went to uh, Harry Potter World yesterday um no one ever gets the the, the name of the attraction right yes. um <laughs> and you sort of think okay and then they say and I had a fantastic time and you can walk around the attraction and someone say are you the manager and you sort of think oh yes how can I help you and they're like are you having such a great time oh, so that's nice. it's like it's like you know <laughs> If you if you walk around the bus station and someone says, "Are you the manager?" you know, you know what's coming. So it's, <laughs> yeah, completely. It's, it's a lovely story. it's a lovely uh, change. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. I, I loved what you said earlier, actually, about having to re-engage people with the brand, and and you you know you knew that the new films were coming out and new things were happening. But I think that with Harry Potter, it, the story is ingrained in so many of us from such a young age that I now see that progression where, you know, I read all of the books when I was younger and I've watched all of the films and I've been to see the play and I've been to the attraction. And now I can see like my friend's children are growing up. You know, my friend's eight year old is Harry Potter obsessed. You know, she's loving the books. She, she, they took her to, uh, as soon as the attraction opened up after lockdown, they went. And it's really lovely to see that progression. And I guess one of my questions for you was going to be, you know, how do you, how do you keep the magic alive for repeat visitors? Because people will come back time and time again. But I guess they bring small people with them and they bring different people with them over the years as well. Yeah, I think we have a real real range of audience as well. It's not just sort of one type. It's not just families. Yes, we have lots of families, but, you know, we have lots of couples. You know, today there's a lot of couples in the tour. It's midweek and it's in December. Um, And we have lots of grandparents bringing kids. And and like you say, there's the, the original generation that watched the films, grew up with the books, and they they're transferring that you know and I think good good stories good storytelling stands the test of time my oldest daughter for some reason not into the books likes Harry Potter a lot just I think a bit scared by the books she's 10 (laughs) my youngest daughter who's uh, seven absolutely loves everything you know wants wants the books read to them wants all the all the characters accents done properly you know everything (laughs) and and so for us you know that that, that's great and that 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 gives you the sort of the demand and we have to create the pull and to to, to make people want to come in the first place and, and, and visit again now fundamentally we've got a really good attraction and you know the sets the props the costumes that you see you know most people have that sort of mental image of what does the great hall uh, hogwarts look like they have the what what they've watched on the television and when you walk through the doors and you're in the great hall you know you are standing on that set and it, it has that sort of it has become that kind of mecca for, for harry potter for, uh, fans so so that that is absolutely a massive plus to start off with but how do you get them to come a second time or a fourth or a fifth time and we, we've sort of taken the approach of doing two things. One is expansions and, and the other one is kind of sort of seasonal features. And, you know, the, the expansions we've done three of. So we, we, our first one was in 2015. We, we built out one of our stages and um, knocked a wall down. And then all of a sudden you were standing in King's Cross Station and you had the actual Hogwarts Express train, you know, st- stood in front of you. People absolutely love that. Um, and then in 2017, we moved all of our on-site warehousing and things like that and removed all our sort of photography around a big internal move in an attraction that's open 
and uh, we we introduced the uh, forbidden forest so you can meet you know enormous uh, acromantulas and aragog and they will come down from the ceiling and there's lots of sort of ghostly fog and you can see centaurs and you can see uh, buckbeak and bow to him and that's been really people absolutely love that and um you know that, that that's helped to keep people coming back and then with the expansion we had last year Gringotts Bank has just been, you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge expansion, but it really, really delivers. And I think we had lots of secrets in that as well. So we told people that you could see the bank. We told people you see the Lestrange vault. We told people that you would see, you know, goblins and how they're made. And people are really interested in how how you make somebody into a goblin. Um, but they didn't know that when you leave Gringotts you walk through destroyed Gringotts Bank and you see this huge dragon coming at you and I think that's a real surprise element that yeah. uh, I've now ruined but um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think most people most people really really love so those are those are kind of the you know those are those are some of the things we do and then we have features where it's more like uh, you know sort of touring exhibitions where we focus on a particular aspect of the of the story and, and, and the filmmaking process so we might have a feature like wizarding wardrobes which we did which is all about costume uh, we might have a feature about specifically the goblet of fire this year we launched our new uh, celebration of slytherin and we were just about to open that before the first lockdown and so it actually ended up opening on the 20th of august so slightly delayed with that, you know, we, we try to bring in, for example, you, you come into the record, all the Slytherin banners are there. If, it's a, if you are a Slytherin, it's a big, it's a big wow. Um, if you're not, it's a big wow, but you sort of wish maybe it was your house. Um, and then we introduced the new, uh, well, we basically took the uh, Slytherin common room set and we recreated that and put that into our, our stage. And I think the great thing about where it is, is that you would never know it hadn't been there forever. So we're always kind of mixing up what the inside of the tour looks like and trying to represent that in, in different ways. We've just launched, because it's December, Hogwarts in the snow. So very Christmassy, lots of trees at the moment. If you go into Diagon Alley, that's all snowed at the moment. Um, so really beautiful time of year. Lots of people come back for that. Lots of people come back for our dark art season at Halloween where we have floating pumpkins everywhere and you can meet lots of uh, Death Eaters and, and, and duel with them. So lots of those things keep coming back. We have lots of event dinners. So, you know, the time and some of those features, Valentine's, things like that. Um, so, yes, lots and lots of things just to keep that sort of presence there and, and, and keep noise around the attraction. And all of that is backed up, I think, with some really amazing work that our marketing and our PR teams do to, to deliver that in a, you know, very eye-catching and, 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 and very sort of memorable way. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great brand to work with from that, that, that perspective because you've got eight films to work with, plus, you know, Fantastic Beasts in the Future. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like because of, you know, the additional films as well, it feels like there's always going to be something else that could be added and something more exciting that can come along and along. So, I mean, I'm smiling the whole way through listening to this because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan and, and just the way that you talk about it, it just paints such a magical picture as well. It makes me want to go back. Um, I kind of want to go back to to the start of when it opened and I know that you weren't there from 2012, but... um, it's, I mean, it's a hugely hot topic at the moment, and it has been throughout the whole of, of, of this year, is pre-booking. It's controversial to some, some love it, some hate it. But when the studio tour opened, it opened with pre-booking. 
And Carly, a good friend of mine, Carly Strawn, who was a, a recent guest on the podcast, she said that when the decision was made that that was going to happen, everybody was up in arms about it and said, well, it's not going to work. You know, people people won't come. <laughs> and it's very clear that that was completely and utterly wrong. And people did come. They come in their thousands. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know. I mean, I don't know how many of these questions you can ask, but I, I kind of wanted to understand what the motivation was. For, for launching with that model and then really what the kind of main benefits were as well? Well, it was it was actually, I think at the time when, you know, the studio tour and we've also got a huge film studio, Legion Studios, uh, next to us. Um, you know, when all of that was going through planning, I think there was this sort of, however much you said it wasn't a theme park, there was this sort of um, perception, I think, or concern that, you know, the tour would be like a theme park. And there is an association, I think, there of there's peak flows into and out of uh, theme parks from a traffic point of view. So actually, the reason that we we are a pre-book only attractions is actually and timed as well is because of um, our planning condition, basically. So it was to it was actually sort of something that was thrust upon us um, to prevent you know traffic congestion in in the local area, and. You know, like you say, I think at the time there were a lot of people who were concerned that maybe that be, you know, a bit of an Achilles heel for the success of an attraction. But actually, it's turned out to be, you know, probably one of our, our best positives, you know, as, as a visitor attraction. And I think, uh, you know, I've been on lots of calls in lockdown and it's interesting to see lots of other attractions saying, oh, it's great. We know who's coming now. It's amazing. Yeah. And you sort of think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess the main benefits are, you know, firstly, you know, it is really helpful to know who's coming and how many people are going to turn up on, you know, lots of times in different attractions, you've staffed up for 3000 people, you've no reason to expect there to be more than 3000 people coming, and 12,000 people turn up and the experience is terrible and you can't cope and you just get completely, you know, overwhelmed. So by knowing who's coming, you know, it, you've got the best chance of preserving a really fantastic visitor experience. It means that, you know, you can design your attraction to a maximum. Um, so you know that, you know, you can operate it at that maximum. And actually the maximum is designed to work as a visitor experience. So rather than there sort of not being an infinite capacity, but, you know, where everything's creaking and it's difficult and, you know, you've got to keep, there's loads and loads of queuing and all these sorts of things. You can avoid that if you've designed the attraction to cope with it. And particularly, again, if you have the timed element and you can stagger people through the day, that really helps. Um, and it just makes sure the, the attraction doesn't get overwhelmed. You've got an opportunity to manage yields really well. And also, I think, you know, when you have limited capacity and you have to pre-book, I think by by managing that, you can actually create demand in the quieter periods, so in the non-school, non-weekend periods. I mean, you have to have a... You have to, to do that, you have to make sure that what you're doing is good and people want to come on the really high demand days. But then if it then starts to become quite tricky to, to book a ticket, then people will generally, you know, suddenly people want to come to you on what would traditionally be a, a quieter day, uh, which is really helpful. And that, 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 that's a great balance, I think. And then I think if you could combine pre-booking with timed entry, you can really create a really fantastic experience because it's much more sustainable to deliver and you can deliver it probably more efficiently than if everyone just rocks up on, 
on the day because if you allow people to you know choose when they come to you okay you've made them pre-book and you know that let's say 10,000 people are going to come to you if you say you know you can come whenever you want they're all going to pretty much come within the same you know three or four hour window they'll come between 10 and 1 and so you then have to gear up your admissions area to deal with all processing all those people at the same time or in that really short period you have to process all you know, everybody through you know, your rides or your experience or your interactives or your show or, or your restaurants uh, or your toilets, all those things have to be scaled up so much more to be able to cope with that peak demand that actually, you know, if you can phase it all so that there's a constant number through the day, you don't have that. So you don't need to have 27 restaurants and 4,000 different toilets. You know, it's much more manageable. So we have two big restaurants, a cafe, and toilets dotted about but but all of that is able to make sure that none of that ever gets overwhelmed you know you're not queuing for ages anywhere you know people if you look at our reviews online that's not what people say about our experience so you know it just makes it feel I suppose smooth slick all the things that you would want the attraction to be um, so definitely you know pre-booking and particularly combining that if you can with a with a timed element it helps you to avoid that helps you to know who's coming and um, manage a sort of constant demand through the day it's really nice that you mentioned the two different sides of that because obviously it, it is a real benefit to the attraction itself in terms of operational processes but visitor experience ultimately is improved because of it because nobody's having to queue like you said there's not an over demand for yeah. toilets or, or they can't get seated in the cafeteria or the restaurant that they want to eat in yeah. so it just has a huge hugely positive effect on the visitor as well as the attraction itself what about downsides can you see any downsides to the or are there any downsides that, that you've come across yeah I mean normally when people say what are the downsides you know there's there's if you're sold out three months in advance, that there's not massive, massive <laughs> downsides there. But you have to have, you know, obviously the, the product's got to be right and it's got to be compelling and all of those things. But um, certainly the downside of being sold out three months in advance um, comes along um, when you have a lockdown and you have to refund all those people. Um, that can be quite, quite, uh, quite eventful. Um, but we managed to do that really well. And the team, particularly our visitor service team, did a fabulous job of getting all those refunds, you know, processed really quickly, you know, and doing it in a, in a way that's automated. So no one had to call us to get the refund, which was which was great. And we did sort of be very clear that we would do that. So that's 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 worked very well. So there's there's that element to it, I suppose. And I mean, hopefully we won't have lots of COVID related things going forwards, but um, it's it's something to bear in mind, I suppose. I think if you're highly weather dependent. Um, I think it's always going to be a challenge to compel people to come out when it's wet or freezing. Um, and so, you, you know, but then I think you, your experience is probably maybe some of your experience is a seasonal experience and maybe you don't open at those times um, anyway. Um, and I think probably the challenge that we, we found the most is when you design a, an attraction to a, a maximum of X and then you see that actually the demand is there so that you could actually do, you know, probably a bit more or that you want to expand it or how are you going to do that? When you want to move it to Y, there's quite a lot of things you need to tweak all around the place to make sure that it still works as you originally intended it to. So, you know, routes, maybe you have to move something, maybe you have to put some extra toilets in. We've just built an expansion on our cafe to to help uh, in the back lot there. So that can be a challenge mainly because, you know, you, you might be quite, space constraints so sometimes you know you have got to 
you know, put an expansion on your building and maybe you, you can't do that. So those are those are the sorts of things I think are the, the biggest sort of you know downsides to it. But for us, it is, you know, it works extremely well. Do you ever get people turn up? Do you ever have instances where people turn up where they, they haven't known it's pre-book or they've just decided to take a chance anyway? We don't really. I, I mean, it amazes me. You know, if you think how many people come to us, um, we have hardly anybody. If we do get people coming, they would normally come to Watford Junction and spoken to our security team who are helping people onto uh, the shuttle buses there to come to the tour. They'll have told them and then they'll probably have got a cab anyway up to the tour and then we'll tell them the same thing. Um, so we get we get hardly anyone. We try to make sure no one leaves crying, but, you know, uh, particularly if they're children. But really, I mean, it, it is a handful of people that come a week. So it's not a big problem, particularly during this lockdown period. It's not really been a problem at all. But our, our marketing is very clear. And I think that's what sort of helped us to ram that message home, really, is that we say everywhere, you know, advanced book only. And that's what everyone will tell you. So um, people know that it's difficult. And I, 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 the, so much so that I, <laughs> I saw a BBC article uh, and the headline was um, getting a COVID test is uh, harder than getting tickets for <laughs> Harry Potter or something like that. So I don't know if that's a positive or not, but it did make me It's chuckle, probably so. true. <laughs> <laughs> so this is quite a big question um and obviously pre-booking is something that's been kind of forced on attractions at the moment and my personal opinion is I have no idea why an attraction would want to go back to not having pre-booking I I, I think people's behavior has changed it's it's an accepted part of the process now I've always found it quite unusual that attractions don't need you to do that you know it's not it's not a requirement do you think that UK attractions should continue to offer pre-booking post-COVID once we are back to a form of normality? I think it depends on their model. And certainly if you are something which is a, let's say you're a limited capacity, but you're high membership, and people will be able to think of the different organisations that, that fit into that category, that can be a challenge for them because, you know, unless you, it's very easy to go, well, I'm going to come every day in the summer and um, I'll actually only turn up when it's sunny. And, and I think that, I think definitely, you know, people with memberships have, have found that quite challenging to, to, to overcome and you do need people to commit to come. So that's, that's, that's the sort of area where I think it can be a little bit tricky, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very positive thing to do. I can't see why people would, you know, completely come away with, from it. I think there maybe will be a bit of flexibility. I think certainly for, you know the really peak times it's a great way to if you know that there's not going to be huge demand in your park part you know your attraction is not going to be at capacity then on certain days maybe you could you could turn it off but for the days when you know you're going to be busy you want it to to be there and also there's an element of what if people that that helps to drive demand it helps to you know, make you this hot ticket that people want need to feel they need to book months in advance you know I spoke to somebody uh, in the tour yesterday and it was their daughter's birthday. I said, oh, when did you get the tickets? And she said, February. Oh gosh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you want to, to achieve if you can. I think people have learned a lot from it, one-way flows and things like that. But I think they'll, I think if they're thinking about it now, they also need to think about what is the visitor flow and how you manage that as well. And there's lots of, you know, theme parks are like a big ecosystem. There's lots of little things that can any one little tweak in one area can have quite a big effect on something else so yeah I think many of them will continue and some will probably change a bit but um, 
people seem to talk very positively about it when you're on you know attraction calls at the moment and people seem to have sort of found this like oh my gosh if you if you just make people one way through the experience they see everything and the experience is so much better you know if you walk through some of these cavernous places that are like mazes and you know you feel did did we see everything i don't know so it's uh it's been a really interesting time and i think that you know lockdown and covid has really forced attractions to really think about their experience and how they deliver that and i think they've probably think a lot of attractions gone to thinking oh gosh this is going to be really challenging and it's not going to be as good but actually you know if you're doing it right the end result seems to be that the visitor experience is better at the moment uh, even better in our case and and you know we've we've been able to we were really clear we didn't want to open if the experience wasn't going to be as good as it was normally and um we've been really pleased with, with the feedback that we've got from that so i think there's lots of learnings attractions will take and lots of different variables that need to be considered and each attraction will think of what its makeup and who's coming is and that will influence their decisions a lot yeah, i think absolutely we'll still be pre-booked definitely <laughs> yeah i can't see that changing anytime soon no <laughs> and so as we start to enter this exciting new year of 2021 which I think everyone just can't wait for (laughs) Uh, do you have any advice that you could share with the sector any pearls of wisdom as we start this new year well hopefully uh 2021 has to be better than 2020 (laughs) pretty impressive if it was worse but um zombie mutant bees or something next year but um it could happen don't even say it Jeff it's a good opportunity to reflect and to really look at what's worked well what hasn't worked well I think if you've been a, a popular attraction pre-COVID, you'll still be a popular attraction post-COVID. And you just need to look at what you're carrying through from the learnings that you, you've made. I do definitely feel that the industry will come back, that you know demand will come back. People want escapism and they want different experiences, you know, a huge amount of them because they're missing that. Not, not to interact with other people, but just to get away from you know everything that we've had this year and you know you see that talking to people in the tour and from the comments that they leave it was just fantastic to be somewhere magical for three hours and not talk about covid and um i think that that applies you know to to lots of attractions across the 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 country so it's uh it has definitely been very difficult and challenging and attractions have had to you think on their feet and it's it's been a bit of a battle and uh you know i think most attractions have come through the that battle and um you know that's a, that's a real positive and uh, they'll learn a lot from it and i think organizationally they'll be a lot stronger from from that going forward so yeah i think we just need to see the demand start to increase and um you know there may be capacity will increase i think some of the limits in demand that we have at the moment are slightly offset by the fact that you've got lower capacity not completely and we'll just have to see really I think it's a case of keeping calm and not you know everybody knows what business they're in and they know who they're talking to and who wants to come to them and you know those people I think will still be there I think the one thing that maybe maybe will change from a visitor point of view is visitors perception of what is an acceptable level of busy yeah whilst I think there's a portion of people who are quite sort of COVID cavalier and, and, and don't mind sitting on your shoulder kind of thing at the minute, but there will be people who just sort of think, actually, if your attendance was 10,000 before, say, and all those people were in the attraction, nobody would have minded that before, but perhaps there'll be more people now who, you know, if you ask questions in your exit surveys about was the attraction crowded, going back to normal, I think I would probably expect that 
percentage who thought it was crowded to be a bit yeah. a bit higher maybe not massively but I think that that is something that everyone's got to really you know think about and we won't suddenly all just throw our masks away and go back to normal I think it's going to be quite gradual yeah I completely agree it's interesting what you, I mean this is not not an attraction but um we have a Saturday market in our in our local town and even at the moment that feels busy because you're not used to that many people being around you and so I can completely understand how people would feel about coming to a really busy attraction and suddenly feeling quite overwhelmed by it actually it's a really good point I think that the demand will definitely be there as well. I agree with you. Um, You know, as a consumer, we've missed out on a whole year of making memories. And I think that that that's what we want to get back to doing. fun experiences and doing things like you said, you know, doing things that are magical experiences and, and remembering them. Thank you, Jeff. I have one last question for you that I ask all of our guests that come on. And it's, if you have a book that you'd recommend, so a book that you either really love or something that you've that's helped shape your career in some way over the years that you could recommend to our listeners. I don't, I mean, I, it's shocking really. I, I really like reading, but I don't get much time to read generally. Um, so probably the last, the last book I read was about the Battle of Waterloo. And I've read a couple of, a couple of um, books on that. And that is a really interesting book to read on uh, from a point of view of, you know, sort of clutching victory from the jaws of defeat and and also the importance of really clear communication and uh, trust I think it's a really it's a really really interesting um, you know really really interesting book to read because it's sort of you know the allied forces probably shouldn't have won that battle um, but it's a very interesting book to read but not everyone's into military history I'm sure so I, I mean the one thing that I am able to do at the minute is is read to my uh, kids and um my youngest daughter is very keen on Harry Potter and I think really that is a great, you know, it is a great book to read and we're, we're, we're kind of, where are we on that? We're doing Goblet of Fire at the minute and um, it's been nice to read them all and uh, just uh, what impresses me the most, you know, knowing, having seen everything in the, 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 the films and I came to Harry Potter, my experience of Harry Potter originally was not reading the books, it was seeing all the films in the cinema so I was literally the only person people go you know who who wasn't expecting <laughs> what had just happened on the screen to happen and I think what's really clever about that it, a, is just all the backstories in there that you don't necessarily see in the films and it, it is really great but also you just see how clever Joe was planting all the things early in the books that are then really important later in the book it's really you know to have thought that through and planned that through in the, you know, at the very beginning, I just thought, I think he's really, really clever. And, um, you know, they, they're very, you know, they're, they're, I think they're equally enjoyable books to read as a, as an adult and, a, and a, as a child. So it's maybe a bit obvious that I'd say Harry Potter, but, it, it, but I think uh, that's the ones that I'm reading at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it is, but I'm really glad that you did because I think they're wonderful books and um, I love them dearly. So listeners, as ever, if you want to win a copy of, I think we'll, we'll, we'll give away a copy of the first Harry Potter book, Where the Journey Started. So if you do want to win that book, then if you head over to our Twitter account and you retweet this episode announcement with the words, I want Jeff's book. Don't call it Jeff's book. <laughs> I mean, JK Rowling <laughs> might have something, something to say about that. However, if you... Our lawyers will <laughs> For the purpose of this, if you want Jeff's book, then... Um, just retweet it and then you'll be in with a chance of winning. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I think that the pre-booking 
saga and topic is is something that's going to continue long into 2021 and um maybe we'll get you back on at the end of 2021 and see see how that's all gone and see what see what exciting plans that you've got for for the tour great really nice to speak to you thanks for having me Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.